So today we're going to take a deep dive into centurions. John highlighted that already. Our focus text is going to be in Acts chapter 10, but I'm going to share a number of other ones as well. Last Sunday, you may recall that we looked at Joseph and the civic connection that we have there, that civic gift. And just as a reminder in this Blessed to be a Blessing sermon series that was developed by Pastor Ryan, it's based on the Discover Your Gifts book, and that's a blessing. There's still some free ones available if you would like it. But please know that the messages, at least that I've delivered this summer, have not focused on that book. My desire is to focus on the details that are in the good book, the Bible. And that's so important for us to remember. There's some great Christian resources out there, but don't let them overwhelm you. Let the Word of God overwhelm you and dig into the Word of God. I mentioned a moment ago that we're going to take a deep dive into centurions in the Bible. But before I do that, first, what is a centurion? Rhetorical question. Uh, historians tell us that centurions were Roman citizens who were chosen for their size, strength, abilities with a sword, and the quality of their discipline over the hundred soldiers that they would have underneath them. In ancient Rome, a century that would be a hundred soldiers was approximately equal to a company in the U.S. Army, which in modern times is between 60 and 200 soldiers. The first century centurion would e be equal about to a captain in the U.S. Army today. The first century, according to renowned historian Flavius Josephus, there were 60 centurions for each legion in the Roman army. So that would mean a legion in the Roman army was about 6,000 men. Now, am I good? Oh, I good. good. So, so you see the centurion right there. He's got the arrow. What identified a centurion over the soldiers was his headdress. You can see that clearly. The centurion led his men into battle. He didn't sit in the back and go, go there and go there. And he led his men into battle and was recognized by that feather, that thing on his helmet, so that his men would see him ahead of them and be inspired to go and fight like he was fighting. So the centurion wasn't just some guy in the back pointing ways to go. He was in the battle himself. And that is important. Uh, in the time of Jesus, around uh, 150, before the time of Jesus, excuse me, about 150 BC, an ancient Roman uh, historian, Polybus, wrote that centurions were chosen by merit and were remarkable, not so much for their daring courage, valor, and the leading of men, but for the deliberation in their mind. So centurions were smart guys. They just weren't brutes, but they had intelligence about them enough that a hundred men would follow them without question into battle. And they would be followed into battle, as I pointed out already, because they were leaders in all aspects, centurions were. The word centurion appears about 20 times in the Bible. We're going to look quickly at three centurions, actually. The first of the three I want us to look at is found in the Gospel of Matthew. Let me share that text with you. The Gospel of Matthew, found in chapter 8. The header of this is the faith of the centurion. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, 
A centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And then down to verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I love how this strong, courageous leader submits to Jesus Christ. He came before Jesus on behalf of one of his servants, wasn't his wife, wasn't a family member, but one in his household, a servant. And this showed, at least to me, that he cared for all people, that he was concerned about all the people that he was in contact with, not just his direct family. This also showed me that this Roman centurion was one able to submit himself to Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Verse seven has, G has him, the centurion, calling Jesus Lord. And that's a significant point for us. When you think of Caesar, which the centurion would have served under, a lot of Caesars thought of themselves as gods, uh, lowercase g, by the way, and they thought they were almighty. So a centurion going against that would possibly be killed if it was known. This centurion was stepping out in faith because of the power that he knew of Jesus the Christ. So he went to Jesus, he submitted to Jesus, and we know that because in the original writing in Koine Greek that the Bible is written in, the word used here is kurios, which means Lord or Master. And this unnamed centurion was so moved to recognize Jesus as Lord and or Master, especially for a Roman citizen to do that, that was powerful. Okay, now to a name centurion, Julius. He's found in Acts chapter 27. If you want to turn there, please do so. Acts chapter 27. Let me read part of this. And this is uh, the connection where Paul sails to Rome. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. And I continue on. This is a as I said, a story of Paul's travel, but more importantly, the ship that he was on is going through treacherous seas and it's gonna be wrecked. Everybody on the ship realized that. They'd been going through a lot. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives, verse 11. But the centurion, instead of listening to this, of what Paul said, Follow the advice of the pilot and owner of the ship. Important point here. The centurion disregarded a man of God, Paul, the apostle. He took the, the logical way and followed the captain of the ship in this sense. And we have that continuing on in verse 29. It's part of the shipwreck. Verse 29 Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Verse 31, then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, 
you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes and held the lifeboat and held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. And this is Paul sharing with these uh, sailors. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Verse 36, this is super stuff here. After he has said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and with some food into themselves. Verse 42 and following, the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners. Paul was one of the prisoners. So the soldiers that he just helped, that he just encouraged to eat, now they're planning to kill him as one of the prisoners. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He kept them from carrying out that plan. And that's important for us to realize because the centurion shifted from being that one that was following the captain and the logic of the day to now one following the wisdom of Paul because of the power of God being upon him. And we continue in the reading in chapter 28, if I may. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. This is important for us to know as well that when we hear God's word as Gentiles, when we hear God's word, it is a word of salvation. In the first century, the Gentiles, Roman citizens generally, in this case, when they heard God's word, they didn't always accept it. But Julius, the centurion, did accept it and came under the rule of Paul. And please note, this is boldness by Paul. This is boldness. What I just read from Acts chapter 28, Paul was still under the authority of the Roman centurion and the Roman guard. They had made it to Rome. Paul's in prison. Well, sort of. He's under house arrest. He's not in a hole somewhere. It's suspected that Julius the centurion is still with him. But Paul's going around Rome before his trial and preaching the word of God. And he still is under Roman guard. So I can, and theologians and historians talk about this, how Julius must have been with him, still guarding him, because that was what he was told to do. And as a centurion, as a soldier, if he was told to do something, he's going to do it. But he continues to hear Paul preach the word. And I always, always sense that when somebody consistently hears the word of God, either in reading or listening to it or hearing it proclaimed or sung in songs, that their heart begins to change and they're blessed. And that's what I believe the centurion had going on is the blessing from God. Okay, now if you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, I don't know what's happening behind me because I bounced around a little, sorry about that. Acts chapter 10. It's interesting, Pastor Brian usually in his uh, laying out of all the sermons for this sermon series gave specific verses to share. In this case, he just wrote 
Acts chapter 10. Wow, okay. Where do I start? Well, I thought, I'll start with verse 1, because he must have included that. Acts chapter 10, verse 1, and this is our focus text. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his families were devout, God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. Isn't that amazing? So oftentimes in the Bible, when an angel comes, a messenger from God comes to someone, we always get that word fear connected to it. In parts in the Old Testament, it was, they were scared. They didn't know what to do. But we have that again. Continuing on. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa who, to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is at the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them off to, it's pronounced Yopa. So they sent uh, the men to Yopa to get Peter. Peter, a proclaimer of the word, a disciple of Jesus Christ, was there. And I'm going to skip a little bit of this. I'll just tell you the story. While Peter was in uh, Yopa, Yapa, uh, he had a vision, a dream. And in that vision, in that dream, he began to understand to a degree that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the good news, that followers of the way were open to all people, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. Continuing in chapter 10, verse 21, Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guest. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Yalpa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. This is a Roman centurion. He bows to no man except Caesar. But here, he is a believer in God. And he knows of the blessings of Peter. He's heard the stories of healing that Peter has done. He's heard the stories probably of Peter proclaiming the truth found in Jesus Christ. So he bows down to him. Verse 26, but Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. I love that humbleness. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. He forgot his vision. He forgot the understanding of the vision. 
But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objections. May I ask why you sent for me? Now he's getting into it. He's getting into understanding that God wants all people in the kingdom. Verse 30 and following. Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives at the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the provinces of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. Verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all were, who were, here, were under the power of the devil, because God was with them. We are witness of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets test about, testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on over all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they, were, then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Wow. I don't know if I've read that much, and had help by Brian, thank you, that much in a sermon at one time. But God has power in his word. He has so much power in his word. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, we're told, Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. It's good to hear God's word read in a variety of ways by a variety of voices. And I pray that happens often for you. Some of you may be thinking, gosh, now is he going to walk through every one of those verses he read? No, I'm not going to. Uh, but we have this blessing of Cornelius. We have this Roman centurion. The fact that a Roman, 
a centurion, a Gentile like Cornelius, in a sense had abandoned what many would say in history was the right order for him to follow what Caesar said. He now is engaged in the fathers of the faith and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he's connected with them even before Peter comes to him. Remember, it talked about him praying. For proper physical location, we understand Cornelius and his family were in Caesarea, as you see behind me, and you also see Iapa on the map, which allows us to understand where Peter was as well. In verse 2 of the text that we just went through, we connect Cornelius to the civic topic in Discover Your Gifts workbook. And by that, I mean he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Some of us give generously to those in need through a variety of ministries, not just here at church, but a variety of ways. And that's important. The civic gift is in part addressing local and community needs, as stated on page 59 of the gifts workbook. So these uh, civic gifts help make an impact in the local and larger community in the name of Jesus Christ. And faith partners such as yourself do just that through the babyfold ministry, as I shared before, it is wrapping services. I love their description on the internet. Wrapping services around children and families since 1902. That's amazing. By supporting foster care, special education, early childhood programming, and the adoption process. And then faith is connected to the carriage crossing, and that is a blessing to be able to go provide chapel services for them. Sam's actually doing it uh, next Sunday, and that'll be a blessing as well for him and for all who are in attendance. And many of you have done your Christian civic responsible duty by going to help at the Midwest Food Bank to share the love of Jesus Christ by packing and helping others to alleviate hunger in this community and beyond. And then there's the hope for DeBar's goal to plant healthy, growing churches in every city and village of DeBar and beyond. And that organization was founded in 2021 by missionaries Dan and Don Hall, who actually spoke here earlier this year. And they were here visiting Sam and Jeanette, obviously, and just happened to preach. I don't know what, how that occurred, but they were here. And that's a blessing be, being able to have people represent in part Faith Lutheran to the larger world and the civic gifts that are also imparted. And also Spark International Missions, empowering individuals, families, and communities by nurturing spiritual, physical, and economic health through Jesus Christ. And we're thankful that for the opportunity some had to go and serve there and are still serving there. And we're blessed by that as well. It's following the Great Commission is found in Matthew 28 and where it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the latter part, teaching them everything basically that I have taught you, Jesus Christ said. And we can't forget about SOAR, special opportunities available in recreation, which exist to maintain and enhance the quality of life for individuals with disabilities through specialized recreation programs. If you're involved in that, you in part are using your civic gifts to help improve the community 
that is around you. All these programs or ministries are just a snapshot of what you, the body of Christ, are doing locally, regionally, and internationally. So we're thankful to play our small role in that. And as good citizens, not just citizens in the Bloomington area, but citizens in the kingdom of God, we're called to partake in the community. So thank you for doing that. I wanted to highlight these ministry connections, not only because of this civic gift that we're going through in the gifts book, but to remind you, the people of God, of the great discipleship opportunities that are available when we partake in those uh, ministries. So be aware of that because that's fulfilling the mission statement of Faith Lutheran and it is being a blessing to others as well. Let me return to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. We note that in verse 3, he's talking to an angel. An angel biblically means a messenger from God. I said that earlier. The centurion Cornelius is hearing from an angel. And in part, he's hearing about something that he's already fulfilled in his civic responsibility where it's being reinforced that he's already caring for those around him in his community in reference to verse four. And then we find that he sends for Peter. He wants Peter, because he's heard of him, to come and help him. God has this all worked out. When I was reading this over and over again, I thought, man, God's got it on. He's just in control of this. Because who would have ever thunk that a centurion named Cornelius ends up being a believer in God and wants to know Jesus the Christ and get connected to Peter, who's in a totally different city, to come together. And to, God's got it all. I love that. When you're reading the Old Testament or New Testament, and or both, you see how God's in control. You read something from the Old Testament, and then you see it come to fruition in the New Testament, and you're like, man, God is good. And that's why we worship him because he is good, he's all-knowing, he's got it all in control, and we're thankful for that. So we have Cornelius. In verse 11, we're told that Peter's coming, which God, and in verse 11 in part, that which God has made clean cannot be impure. So now Peter has this message that God is in control and wants all people, Gentiles included, to come into the kingdom. This had to be hard for Peter, a Jew to hear and, and take in because Peter was steeped in this Jewish tradition that you would shun Gentiles. If you weren't a Jew, you're out there. So Peter lived his life in that, that he would shun the Gentiles. But now he receives this vision from God and now he comes to understand that, oh my gosh, I've been doing this all wrong. I'm supposed to love all people and welcome all people into the kingdom of God. It's a great message for us today in this 21st century. Now, I know none of you, because you're saints, ever judge anyone. But because I'm a saint and a sinner, I often will do that. And in part, when I'm doing that, I'm excluding people from the kingdom. I'm not embracing the opportunity that they can come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So Peter, he's coming to this great understanding from the vision of God from verse 11. So we're thankful for that. 
And then Peter accepts this invitation to go to Cornelius, which is unique in itself. Why would Peter do this? Why would Peter in a different town go, yeah, I'll come and see a centurion? Well, it's only because of the power of God, the movement of the Holy Spirit, allowing Peter to see something new, allowing Peter to see that even, even the Gentiles are welcome in the kingdom of God. So Peter accepts this invitation from Cornelius and he goes to the home and he realizes that this new covenant, this new blessing that God has given him is coming to fruition right before him with his household full of Gentiles. And this is shown biblically in verses 34 and 35 when Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So Peter is saying that Cornelius knows God, in part wants to know Jesus Christ, and that fear is a, a reverence, not a scared, but a reverence to know God. And what a blessing it was for Peter that he got to share Jesus Christ with these Gentiles, with these Romans. I'm thankful for verse 43 that Brian shared so well. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Isn't that powerful that it still holds true today? 2,000 years ago, they were talking about this. And today we continue to proclaim that all who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior come under his forgiveness. We've been washed by the blood of the Lamb who went to the cross for each and every one of us so that our sins could be forgiven, that we could walk forth with a clean slate. What a blessing that is. And verse 45, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Uh, by the way, in the Bible, even on the Gentiles is underlined. That's me doing that because I just want to highlight that, that even on the Gentiles, and that's a reminder for us in this day, in this 21st century, that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, wants all people to come into the family of God. This Roman centurion named Cornelius came to know Jesus Christ. Not just Cornelius, but his entire household. And what a blessing that was. The biblical story marks a uh, a turning point in this first century movement of the way, because we understand that this is part of that fulfillment of the Great Commission, going to the ends of the earth with the power of Jesus Christ. We also understand that this blessing, this baptism of Cornelius and all who were there is the first movement to Gentiles being welcomed into the body of Christ. So it took until Acts chapter 10 for that to happen, but we're thankful it did. So as I wrap up this message, please know that Cornelius and his household are blessed to know Jesus Christ as we're told in scripture. And this made it very clear that God intended for his church not to just be a, another sect of Judaism, but to be a church for all of mankind. It was about 10 years later after this Cornelius conversion, that Paul defended his mission before the council in Jerusalem where Peter, who was with Cornelius, and James 
were in support of what Paul was doing. We talked about that a few weeks ago in the Blessed to be a Blessing sermon series. So as I wrap this up for sure, how do we use this civic gift? I asked the same question last week. The answer is in your heart. These words that I shared last week, we are called to participate in the local community. We're called to participate in the greater community so that as we see a need, we can address it and do it because Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. We're going to continue the Blessed to be a Blessing sermon series next week, and you'll be blessed by a guest proclaimer of the word. And no, it's not Faith President's John. It's a different proclaimer that has great and vast biblical knowledge. He'll come before you and share the word. I look forward to hearing him as Sarah and I will be here with you at that time. Let's pray as we conclude this message. Father God, guide us in our civic gifting, in our civic responsibilities to your mission. Bless us to be a blessing in this kingdom here on earth so that through our sharing of your love, whether it's at a church barbecue, a church ice cream social, or a local restaurant, that we, your people, are able to invite others into your family. Lord, in your mercy.